0: I don't have a guest for you this week. Uh, Today, I am going to be talking about confidence. Uh, It seems like an appropriate thing to talk about. After last week, I talked about insecurity. And so now I'm talking about the opposite. And it's very appropriate for me because I have none of it today. (laughs) Holy shit. Comedy is so hard. It's so fucking hard. And if anything makes you feel like a fucking pathetic worm at the same time as making you feel like a hero, it's the, I, I mean, fighting's the same, like it, the, fighting is very similar and very humbling, except for in fighting... I would argue almost, there's there's different things that are make it easier or harder, right? Obviously, fighting's difficult because there's physical ramifications. You're literally actually going to get kicked in the head or punched in the face. So there's like a physical danger to it. But we, I think, as a species, uh, modern human beings anyways, are better at dealing with physical threats than we are mental and emotional threats. Because we have become very divorced from our like mental landscape. And, uh, I don't know how to fucking, I, and I thought I was like an introspective self-aware person, but Jesus, man, it's so fucking hard to know yourself and be aware of your own shortcomings until they're slapped in your face. And I honestly, I feel like sometimes like that's the only way. We can see them like someone, something has to show them to you. And it usually is pain. And that's the same thing I was talking about last week with insecurity. It's the same concept and how important it is. Uh, if you didn't hear last week's podcast, it doesn't matter. This podcast will still make sense. But a quick recap essentially, I was just saying that uh, being insecure is really dangerous because you uh, don't back yourself meaning that you are weak and other people can take advantage of you. You can find yourself in dangerous situations and not know how to get out of them. And then you have to get help from other people, which means then that you have, are indebted to other people and you can be manipulated obviously. And then also, uh, speaking from a purely creative point of view, you, if you don't have any confidence or you are insecure, you don't, uh, create things. So that's what I was talking about last week was how dangerous it is to be insecure and how important it is to develop a sense of trust in yourself. Now, this week, uh, I'm talking about the opposite and how dangerous it is to have, uh, I don't too much confidence, uh, and what that kind of means, but, uh, I'm not going back on anything I said last week. I just, there are peaks and valleys to both of these things. Um, But anyways, in fighting, you have this... You need to have enough confidence to put yourself in the ring and believe in yourself and trust yourself so that you can fight another person and back yourself. Like if somebody starts punching you, you don't don't like curl up in a ball and run away. You have to fucking stand your ground. Trust your guard. Trust that you can block and trust that you can fire back and that you can handle the shots that are happening to you. Um, So that... That's why confidence is really important in fight. But if you come in overconfident and you start talking shit and swinging your arms around and acting cool, you get knocked the fuck out. And, well, you should, in my opinion, because I think people that are overconfident are fuckheads. But that's probably because I don't have any confidence, so I'm jealous. I don't know. That could be. Um, But... Anybody with a bit of overconfidence, like you can underestimate your opponent, you can lose focus, you can think that you're better than other people, and then you get in the ring and uh, get the absolute shit kicked out of you because you're not prepared. You uh, come in overconfident thinking that you own the place, and then you get fucked up. So that is the danger, I guess, in fighting with overconfidence. But the difference between comedy and fighting is there's no right or wrong way to do comedy necessarily. I mean, a wrong way is to be a self-indulgent fuckhead that says nothing funny and just sucks people's time and energy. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit today, but uh, I th- I'd say that's the only wrong way to do comedy uh, because comedy is, I guess, at its core supposed to be funny. And if you're not funny or at least entertaining or interesting, then you are wasting the audience's time and you probably shouldn't be speaking to them. You could write a book, sure, but don't like force people to sit there and listen to you. Even do a podcast because people can turn it off if they don't like it. But um, I guess like for stand-up comedy, standing in front of an audience of people, you have to take into consideration that the audience needs to be somewhat entertained or uh, have an experience of you. And if you're just up there being a self-indulgent cunt, it's not worth it. But there's no like really right or wrong way to go about doing it. It's like every... There's different people in the crowd will find different things funny, different generations, demographics, everybody all over the place thinks different shit's funny. So it's hard to know what's actually funny. In fighting, there is more or less a basically correct way to throw a jab. And there's a technical way to throw a jab or throw a cross or uh, get your kick up. And there's different tactics that you can employ that coaches and people around you spend hours and hours and hours drilling into you so that you know how to do them when the fight comes. And I imagine people that are actually good at comedy have teams of people around them that help them figure this shit out. But for dickheads like me, uh, not so much. I'm just like freewheeling this thing, having no fucking idea what I'm up to. (laughs) And I'll sit in my room, like, writing jokes, thinking that this sounds funny, this is an idea. And then you try them on stage, and for one reason or another, people do not find them funny. And it's a confusing thing, because it's like, is this objectively not funny? Or did I just deliver it weird? Or was I wearing something distracting? Or was there a noise in the room? Or was the audience tired from listening to everybody else? Or did somebody else mention a similar thing that I didn't hear? And I, the audience was in on something that I didn't know. Was the MC putting everybody down and making everyone frustrated and tired, so they weren't open to listen? To what yet? Like, there's so many fucking variables. You have no idea. Um, but I'm coming off of. I <laughs> I've been trying this new material. I've done it all the way through three times now. The first time I did it, I told people it was new and I still had my notebook with me and it was an open mic night in a chaotic, just drunk, fucked up bar. Just it, It's a dive bar. There's just drunk fucking people everywhere. There was like a girl, probably it was probably like her 20, 20th birthday or something, a girl's party was in the corner just absolutely talking nonstop shit through all the acts the whole night, just like not even present, drunk as fuck. Who knows what the fuck was going on, but they were right in front of the stage. And then there was a group of people sitting... uh next to them uh, close to the stage that we're trying to listen then uh other groups of people are kind of halfway listening and then at the far end of the bar just nobody paying any attention whatsoever and then we're trying to like shout into this microphone to try and get people to pay attention it's just a fucking pure chaos but so the first night that i did this set uh I did my opening jokes that people normally find pretty funny and so they kind of trust me and then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try and work out some new shit so hopefully that's funny and then in between people are just talking and shit and I had to like tell the girls to, I said, instead of being funny or interesting about it, I just looked at them and said, shut the fuck up. (laughs) The rest of the audience thought that was funny but it wasn't like a funny, I I don't know, I don't know what the fuck I was doing, I just had nothing else to do but anyways, uh, the night was felt like this really chaotic energy. Everybody was just whatever the fuck goes, it doesn't matter. And I sort of actually kind of thrive in those environments because I it I, I, it's like it takes the pressure off of me to be cl- um, clean and tidy because I think I put too much pressure on myself to have these like perfect sets. The same thing I was talking about last week with having perfect podcasts that in an environment where people are listening to me, I... Feel like I need to put on a show, whereas in that environment where it's just fucking chaos, I so like I don't have to put on a show anymore. I just be me and like act up, play up me, and get goofier and sillier and dumber and more loud. I guess whatever. So, anyways, uh, I said I was going to try these new jokes, and they were on board with me and. So when I said them, I said them very authentically. I was still working the ideas out, and there were some funny nuggets of ideas in there. And so they were with me. Like at one point, I said a line that I didn't think was a punchline. I was kind of actually nervous about it when I wrote it because I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to get this. They gave me like an applause break. Like they laughed so much that they applauded the joke. And I was amazed. So I was like, oh, okay, fuck. That feeling that I had in my room going, I don't think this is funny um, turned out to be very funny. It turned out to be like the funniest thing I said all night. So I was like, okay, th- I note that down. The next time I went to do that joke, exactly the same set, exactly the same thing. This time I've got it in my head a little bit better so I didn't say it was new and I didn't uh, need my notebook. This gig was up in Brisbane and it was a smaller venue where a group of people were actively listening to me like right there uh, paying attention. It was like quite an intimate room. I could reach out and kind of touch the front row of these people. It was a tiny, small little place and probably maybe 25 people in the audience. Um, This time I said the jokes and people were 100% on board with me, really actively listening, nodding their heads, paying attention. And I felt like I was giving a funny lecture on the topic. Cause the topic is kind of intense. Like it's sort of full on. Um, and they were like really with me. It's kind of dark a little bit. And then I'm trying to like dot it with funniness in between. Cause I'm just trying to deal with, I don't know, the darkness and chaos of my own stupid head. And so, uh, I was, I tried it out the second time. Second time I did this, Ed, it worked. And I felt great during the set. Like I felt really connected to the people. That I felt like the jokes were making sense. They weren't uh, as funny as I wanted them to be, but the audience was completely 100% on board with me. I got off the stage and everybody was congratulating me. Good job, good job. That, that was a great set, whatever. So I felt super confident in this new material. I I came out of there like fuck yeah I fucking crushed it I'm a legend and I'm doing this raw comedy competition right now <laughs> and so I and I had, so I've just got through two heats of this competition and I'm trying not to like make it be a big deal because I don't want to take it too seriously because comedy fucking sucks when you take it too seriously. Obviously, the whole point of comedy is to be funny and relax and silly, and I am now entered into a competition where the winner of the Queensland final will go to perform at Melbourne at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So it's kind of like a big deal and apparently it's like quite a good accolade to have as a starting out comic if you can win this competition. So, um I've gotten through two heats now and I'm on to the state finals. And so that's boosted my confidence a bit thinking, all right, fuck, I've made it through two heats to get to the final. I can't be that shit at this I was about to say sport, whatever this fucking thing is at this task. But um, and then I'm writing new material. People are giving me applause breaks. These guys think I crushed it. Like these, this audience was all about it. Everyone loves my new shit. Like I'm on fucking top of the world. And I had to keep my ego in check. Like this is a thing, actually, that I never saw coming. Cause I thought, I, I thought I was being humble, because I was like, oh, I know I'm a piece of shit. Like blah. it turns out, no, what that is is hundred percent my ego. I think. I'm special, but I don't really trust that I'm special. This is me being insecure. This is what I was talking about last week. I, it's like a false sense of humility. It's like, oh, no, I'm humble, I'm humble. But what it is is that you're like looking for attention and validation because you actually believe that you're special, but you need other people to tell you you are because you're insecure. Does that make sense? Like i it's a fucking confusing situation. So the people who are most susceptible to being insecure are 100% the most susceptible to being arrogant cunts. Because we, I'm including myself in this mess of (laughs) mental derangement, Um, because we need external validation, good or bad, to prove that we are something. Because we don't trust that we are something in and of itself on our own. So... Uh, me having this insecurity that has uh, self-destructed myself for most of my life uh, can very easily flip into overconfidence because I am so wrapped up in my own fucking head that I can't see objectively how I'm going. Uh, And it's an interesting thing. This is what they call the Dunning-Kruger effect in... um, psychology. And essentially what it is, is that you think you're better than you are because you just don't understand the skill enough to know what you don't know. So like when you very first start something brand new, you're new to a, I'm new to comedy, right? I, and I come into the comedy world and I'm an over-preparer and I'm a perfectionist. So I spent a lot of time writing like a really practiced set, for my first five minutes, I spent a fucking long time writing it, memorizing it, acting it out, performing it, practicing it, thinking about it. And so when I went to my very first open mic, I'm, think, I'm like done the preparations, like I've done a fight camp for an open mic. And I go to this open mic, it was at a karaoke bar in Surface Paradise, and there was like three audience members. I just realized that I've completely gone off track of talking about me, the reason why I don't have any confidence. <laughs> I was ramping up to how much confidence I did have. It's all right. I'm going on this detour, and I'm going to come back. I promise I will come back to it. Um, so the Dunning-Kruger effect is that you think that you you don't know what you don't know, so you think you're a legend. So I went to this open mic. It was the very first time I've ever performed comedy. It was a karaoke bar in Surface Paradise. Three crowd members, probably maybe four, and the two of those crowd members were there to do karaoke. But then they realized that they had to sit through comedy first before the karaoke would start. And then everybody else in the audience, there was about six other people, were all comedians that go to that room every single week and perform to each other and themselves. Um, So I'd never done anything ever before. And I get up there and I fucking just crush it. Because I've been practicing. And oh, who knows if that set was actually even that funny. I don't really know. But they all. I came with this energy of like having completely practiced this shit so many times like I they got up there they were looking at their phone they were trying to like throw weird jokes out into the air there's they're just like fucking around and I get in there like a pro you know because I have no idea what the fuck is going on and I've never done it before so I was out of insecurity I was so over prepared that I went in there like with this full routine (laughs) this full show and they were like oh wow like this is your first time doing comedy very comfortable on stage but wow like what was that and so i I walked away i was with um, my flatmate and we were like wow okay I'm not a piece of shit because I was funnier than a lot of those people. But a lot of those people, in my head, I'm going, yeah, okay, I'm not that bad. And I go to more open mics, and I keep doing the same shit. I keep performing this thing, and I've got this energy on stage, and people are giving me compliments and saying that they're impressed that I've only been doing it for a month or two months or three months, whatever. And then uh, so I'm thinking, fuck, I'm doing really good. Like, I think I I think I might be amazing at this. <laughs> And then uh, I took a long time off. I started bombing. I did start bombing towards the end. Like I had, I think I'd done 42 gigs and 42 gigs. It's when I say 42 gigs, it's not um, like on stage in theaters. You guys like 42 gigs includes the time that I was in America at one in the morning in the back of a bookstore standing on a carpet, holding a microphone, talking to two other comedians, doing a set. (laughs) So I count that as a gig because it was a time that I did stand-up comedy, but it fucking isn't a gig. So anyways, I've done 42 stand-up appearances at various levels of um, audience participation or otherwise. And I had not bombed yet i'd had some mediocre gigs where people didn't laugh as much as they normally do or people were tired or they weren't really present or whatever but i fucking bombed one time at the Cecil hotel in southport i got up on stage i decided to change my routine from I did like my big closing joke at the very start because I wanted to try out a new different closer to see if that one was as good. So I thought, fuck it, this is going to be great. I'm going to put this epic joke that I always end on that everyone laughs at. It always gets a great reaction. I'm going to." Cut that one and put it right at the start so that everyone's really on board with me. They think I'm fucking amazing. And then I'm going to try a bunch of new stuff in the middle that's kind of weird and surreal and strange. And then I'm going to blast them out of the park with this amazing new closer. Uh, It's a joke that I've been doing for a long time and it gets a pretty good response, but now I'm going to finish with it because people seem to like it. I got up on stage and I said the first joke and I didn't realize the joke is about me fingering my own asshole. And uh, I didn't understand because, again, done Dunning-Kruger, I think I'm just a fucking legend at this point because everyone always laughs at my jokes. People pat me on the back all the time. They say, it's great. Can't believe you've only been doing comedy for four months. You're so good. And uh, so I have all this confidence in this joke because everyone laughs at it, but I've always finished with it. Uh, I get up there and I say this joke right off the bat. It's about me fingering my own asshole and... I didn't realize that people don't really like you to talk about your asshole the first second that you've met them. Like they have to get to know you over the course of three minutes before they'll let you talk about your asshole for two minutes. And I didn't understand that because I just thought the joke is objectively funny because I know myself. I know like that I'm not a gross shit cunt um, So, but they don't know that these people have just, all they can do is walk, is watch me walk on stage, see the way I hold the microphone, see what clothes I'm wearing. And then immediately I go into like masturbating in the shower and fingering my own asshole. And they are just, everybody in the audience immediately was like, gross, who the fuck are you? And. The psychology that happens to you when you are standing on stage trying to make people laugh and they stare. You guys all know what that feeling is like when you like make a joke in front of your group of friends and no one laughs and then you just are filled with hot shame. Imagine that. But like you have 10 minutes that you have to perform for these people. There's a spotlight on you. People are there wanting to be entertained by you and then nobody fucking laughs at your joke. (laughs) Your whole job is to make them laugh and nobody fucking laughs. And they just, it was just like empty silence. They were just staring at me. And then, so I got through the whole joke, nobody laughed. And then it was dead silent. And then one girl in the audience just goes, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I think she was trying to, like, a pity laugh, but it came out sarcastic. And I just, I just like looked out into the blackness and was like, yeah, okay, I guess that's what that deserves. (laughs) Like, fair enough. Um, And then nobody even laughed at her laughing at me. Like they were so uncomfortable for me and hated me so much that they didn't even care. And then I immediately proceeded into the second routine, which is about pulling a piece of grass out of a cat's asshole. So like if they didn't think I was disgusting enough... At the start, now I'm talking about like doing animal things and I'm not being sexual by any means in this joke, not at all, but it's just like, what a gross thing to back that up with and there's this like weird surreal stuff about mental health and it, it just the whole fucking thing just it got worse and worse I was watching the audience's reaction like they started out curious then they kind of were grossed out then they started to really hate me and then they were like pitying me but also really hating me like starting to get really grumpy like I saw, I've i watched people starting to cross their arms looking around at each other like and it was dead silent in the room it was so fucked So I had gotten through seven and a half minutes of this. I still had two more minutes to go. And thank God this final joke is a very funny joke. Uh, Most of the time, people almost always laugh at it. And I managed to pull them around for the last two minutes, and they kind of laughed at me until I got off stage. I left such a horrifically dark black hole in that room that the following two comedians could not climb out of it. Like they both also completely bombed because I ruined (laughs) the entire momentum of the evening. It was fucked. I can laugh about it now, but I'll tell you what, I cried so hard about that. Like, oh God, it was so fucked. I've never, I just have never felt so fucking pathetic and shitty. And it was so confusing because like it was so confronting because I still had this it's what they call cognitive dissonance. Like I had this idea in my head that I was such a legend, and I was amazing at this thing. And then all of a sudden, I got just confronted with the fact that I am, absolutely have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And because I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't even know what I did wrong. Like I can see now what has happened now that I can go back and look at it and understand what was going on. Um, But I didn't understand what even happened. So I was just like, I just got slapped in the face for no reason. And I didn't get it. Uh, So that's the Dunning-Kruger effect essentially, is that you think that you're a legend you look down on everyone else that's been doing it for longer than you because you don't understand what they're actually doing. So like the other comics that have been doing open mics for a really long time are trying out new gear. They're, they actually have jokes that work really well that they use in their shows, but when they go to open mics, they're just trying shit out. They're experimenting. They're playing around with different stuff. So they don't care about crushing. They care about getting their jokes worked out. But in my head, it's all about me, me being impressive, me putting on a good show. I was like, why bother if you're not crushing (laughs) all the time? And then I started to realize that like, I'm not in control of this shit. Like if you don't learn and you don't change shit up every once in a while and try new things, you're never going to get any better. You're just going to be like that stagnant old man you know just it's just like an old dude at a bar still trying to pick up 18 year olds it's like go fuck yourself man grow up stop doing blow in the toilets at 45 and go have a family like that that's what's happening to a person in my position at the time who is like just still trying to do the same gags and get the same reaction constantly like you gotta fucking change shit up right like you gotta try stuff and uh sometimes it doesn't work right so i um so back to my original story i 've been trying this new uh, these new jokes after coming back from a three month absence in po- in podcast well podcasting too yes but um and comedy, and just getting all the elements back like just getting comfortable on stage, trying to remember how to remember stuff that 's a skill also that i didn 't realize that I had developed over time. I'm constantly forgetting my material right now because I just don't have the muscle memory in my brain to remember how to memorize. Uh, So I'm climbing out of that hole, getting confidence back on stage, all of those things. So now I'm a bit more comfortable again after uh, doing a lot more uh, gigs, if you call them that, open mics and stuff. And I, I was trying this new material. So I had this... I've done the new material twice now and I did well both times. So I was like, fuck yeah, I've written an amazing new five minutes. How good am I? What a legend. I can take three months off and come back, and I'm a fucking hero. I made it through my raw heats. I'm into the fucking finals. I'm going to Melbourne. Everybody, look out, world. I'm the best fucking comedian you've ever seen. Then the next night, that was a Wednesday night up in Brisbane. On the Thursday... I was driving to Brisbane yet again for another seven-minute spot up at Blutz uh, in the Valley. And I was driving up there. I hadn't done anything with my jokes because I'd had such an amazing night the night before. I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm just going to do the same shit because I'm a legend. Don't need to work on my set. Don't need it, whatever. I'm a hero. And so I was driving up to Brisbane thinking I was awesome And I was like, oh, fuck it. You know what? Actually, I want a little boost in confidence. I'm going to listen to my set last night that I did because it was so good. It's going to make me feel amazing, going to remind me of all the times that those people laughed at all my jokes, and uh, it's going to put me in a great mood to get up on stage. So I listened to my set like a fucking idiot right before, as I'm driving to Brisbane before I do another show, and I did not crush as hard as I thought I did. (laughs) The recording tells a very different story than my memory in my head, because these jokes that I'm talking, the new material that I'm doing is a lot more kind of intense and, uh, thinky and it's not, It's just not punchy yet because the jokes are new and they're just not that good. Like I just have not written very good jokes yet, but they are a lot more thinky and a lot more uh, emotionally charged. So when I was in this small intimate room with these people and I was telling them these jokes, they were responding to me. So in my head I was like, fuck yeah, I'm crushing. They love me. But when I listened back to the audio of it, what was happening is that they were listening intently to me, but they were not laughing out loud at my jokes. Like, so it was a good set as far as like giving a TED talk is concerned (laughs) or doing a live podcast. But for a stand-up comedy routine, the laughs were very intermittent and rare. And then when I finally got to my end closing joke that I know always gets a good laugh and got definitely a good response that day. I heard the difference between all my new material that got very mediocre responses to my old jokes that 100% always, like, usually do very, very well. They were like, it was, a, it was night and day. And I was like, oh, fuck, none of my jokes, my, my, none of my new jokes are actually funny. They were laughing at my end joke a lot, and my new jokes they were with me they were interested they were curious to hear what I had to say but they are not funny jokes. <laughs> and so then again I got like another a huge slap in the face while I'm driving to Brisbane and this time it was you think you you thought that you crushed it you had confidence based on an illusion like your confidence at whether or not you're good at comedy is flawed because you think you're you thought you did better than you actually did. How do you know what's real? This is again cognitive dissonance. It's in my head, I experienced a memory a certain way, and then other evidence shows me a different perspective on that memory, and I my memory comes crashing down and I question, it makes me question everything that's ever happened in my life. <laughs> So then I was just like spun into this horrific spiral of doubt because obviously I'm an insecure person a lot of the time, historically, definitely very insecure. And I'm just quietly trying to build some confidence in myself right now. And it was like, you fucking idiot. Of course, this is why you don't have confidence and never should and should have never had confidence your whole fucking life because you're an idiot. How? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how could you possibly think you're funny when everyone hates you? This this is the voice of doubt, obviously. It's not completely true. And so I slightly over-exaggerated. Um, but so this is the voice in my head just going like, fuck, you are an idiot. You're a piece of shit. And it just gets louder and louder and louder. And I pull up to the gig and I'm like, oh, no. I now have to get on stage with the set that I had planned to do because I haven't worked on anything else. I haven't even run any other jokes through my head. I have to perform these now and I have no faith in them whatsoever because I realize that they're not funny. I get to the show and uh, there is like 10 people in the audience. The every I was there halfway through the show so I missed the whole first half. Whatever had happened in the first half had like kind of put the audience into this like kind of trapped sensation (laughs) everyone was just in there kind of like oh fuck what are we doing here the mc even himself was like all right only a few more acts to get through you guys you can make (laughs) and i got up on stage and i don't know i had i and it was just a disaster they kind of like i tried to some new other stuff i just tried to throw some shit out there uh they were fine they gave me whatever response that they needed to give me for being 12 people and then I got off stage and drove home uh, completely dejected and realized that I should never do a comedy ever again. And it wasn't it, I it wasn't like I completely bombed. I did fine but it was it was like I had no personality and no faith in myself. So I didn't sell any of the jokes. I just tried shit with this like weird, insecure like do you guys think this is funny? And they were kind of like no so (laughs) so then I and then I had to sit with myself for an hour and a half driving home going you why are you bothering you're such a fucking idiot this is the hardest thing you've ever done and you why are you who are you kidding you can't do this and all of that is my ego Good or bad, happy, sad, doubt, or overconfidence, it doesn't fucking matter. All of it is my ego. And so uh, the greater picture here that I'm trying to paint uh, amongst with these little stories of like highs and lows and ups and downs and stuff, the greater picture is at the end of the day, everything I'm doing is about me and my appearance to the world and how I'm doing. And that's the core of the problem. The only reason that I'm susceptible to either confidence, overconfidence, or uh, insecurity is because I have no kind of central core purpose for what I'm doing, why I'm doing that is outside of myself. And this is why I think people find Jesus and find spirituality and shit and why I think those things are really critical and important for us to cultivate in ourselves, not Jesus, but a sense of connectedness to something greater than ourselves and a sense of purpose that isn't just sustaining our own image or help. And I talk about this shit all the time, like, uh, that other people are doing it. And it's very obvious that I'm doing it. it. And it probably is obvious to other people that I'm doing it, but I'm only aware of myself at certain points in my experience. You know, like, how well, it's the same shit. With anything, like, you don't realize you're being a fuckhead at the time often. And then, like, a couple days later, you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry I was being a cunt. Or, you know, like, I fucked up. That was stupid. Because in the moment, you kind of don't. So I think this is what's happening to me a little bit, is that I, uh, the more I'm learning about comedy now, the more I'm realizing how much I fucking don't know, how much I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And at the start when I knew that I had no idea, I was fine because I didn't have any expectations of knowing how to have an idea. I did; It didn't matter. I was free to just do whatever the fuck I wanted because people were like, great, you don't know what you're doing and you're doing great. You know, like for, for knowing nothing, you're doing really wonderfully great. And now I don't get that because it's like it's clear you – Should know what you're doing a little bit by now. You have so far to go, but we don't need to hold your hand anymore because you're standing on your own two feet. You know how to walk now, so we're not going to keep coddling you and holding you. Just fucking go, do your thing. This is now it's like up to me. Now I am responsible for my own production. You know what I mean? So when you're first learning a skill, and this is why I, I I was saying this to a comedian last night when I was just struggling to figure out how to write ideas, and I said, what's really hard for me is that in Muay Thai, when I want to get better at it, I know I show up to training, and there will be a coach there that corrects my technique, that I put in as much work as I can, I try as hard as I can, and somebody will come and correct me. And then I try and do the best that I can with what they're saying. I take their advice on board. I listen to what they're saying to me. And then I practice it the new way over and over and over again. And then every time I get corrected, I keep trying to remember the things that I'm being corrected on and try to work them into my skill set. And it takes a long fucking time. You learn, like Muay Thai, it it took me a year, I guess, of doing it before I even considered having a fight. It's a long fucking time. But with comedy there's no like practice 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 then go outside and try it. It this is intricately woven with the feedback loop. Comedy is is a communal sport. It's incredibly lonely up there on your own by yourself, but if you're effective at engaging the audience with your ideas and you've got something valuable to say, there is an incredible beautiful symbiosis between you and the audience and, and it creates something so much bigger. And this is what the aim is, right? This is the en- end all ultimate goal. But there is a lot of responsibility in that. I can't like start saying a joke and then have somebody come out and be like, no, 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 actually, so it's better if you do it this way. And then I go, oh yeah, thanks for that. And then I repractice the joke that way. And there are times where people can come out, like we have chats The comedians have chats with each other periodically at these shows. But you don't want to give someone else advice on what they're doing, especially me. Like, I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about. Clearly, I still have you have an idea of what's funny or whatever, but you don't really want to like be telling other people advice. And so I listen to other comics that have a lot more experience than me. They tell me things and I kind of try and take it on board. But at the same time, everybody's got their own way of doing shit. This is what creativity is. There is no right or wrong way to be funny. And the most the only right way to be funny. I think is to be very authentically true to you and your ideas. Like whatever it is that you specifically have to bring to the table that's different and interesting because of your unique set of life circumstances, personality traits, everything. If you tap into that and connect that to an audience and connect it to the moment you're all in then you can create something really special. So there's three major elements. You yourself have to be completely void of needing to be a something because you are authentically you. Then you need the audience to understand the thing that you're trying to say and they come with you or bring them with you, I should say, I guess. And then lastly, things are funny in that moment, in that space, in that time, in that room, and then they are not necessarily, cannot necessarily be replicated elsewhere. And you guys, I I imagine that you guys know exactly what I mean by that. Like, well, just with any joke, you know, like if you're with a group of friends and something goofy happens and all of you laugh and then you go home and tell your flatmate about it and they'll just stare at you like, that's not funny because that's what happens in those moments. Like you, as a unified, Experience, you're all together getting to enjoy this moment together, and then it's gone. So, although all, that is the, like the key of, from my perspective of what I can see of what comedy is, that is like the key to make good comedy. And how you fucking do that, I have no idea. And the, I, I mean, I was talking to a guy last night who's been doing comedy for 16 years, and when I got off stage, I was. You know, Oh, I didn't mention (laughs) the final part of this story. Damn it. So, yes, now I'm at the phase in comedy where I have a responsibility to myself. And I have to take responsibility for not doing the work, a.k.a. having too much confidence and thinking that I was going to crush it no matter what I did and then get up on stage at Blutes and be like, oh yeah, fuck, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, That happens. It it wasn't a terrible gig, but it wasn't a great gig. Then, I just last night did a based comedy show down here on the Gold Coast. And based comedy is a good show to be on. They give you 10-minute sets. It's like an actual room that's being put together for comedy, specifically the audience is there to watch comedy. Uh, They have headline acts that are paid acts that are very good from all over the country that have been doing comedy for a really long time. And so people are, re- are there to actually watch good comedy. And uh, they're a very good show to be on. So I want to do well. So uh, I did this last night. And uh, after my confusing mess at Blutes, I did spend a lot of time trying to rewrite these jokes. I did try and clear it out, clear out any of the junk, try and get to the point of what I was talking about, try and understand why some things were funny, why they aren't funny, what's heavy about it, what's working, what's not. So I really, really worked at it, completely reshuffled the order, and was like, all right, I think it's good now. I think I fixed it. I think I figured out what was wrong with it. I think I understand now. Now I'm going to give it a go. But I hadn't quite memorized the order as well as I could have. So... uh, the joke wasn't completely locked into my head or the bit, the routine wasn't completely locked into my head. And I got up there last night, did my opening jokes. People were laughing. Everything was fine. The crowd was amazing. The MC was incredible. Everybody was really happy and excited and ready to watch comedy. And then I did my first joke. It was great. They liked it. They were on board with me. Everything was fine. And then I got into this new material and the room got very quiet. And it felt very heavy. This is a lot bigger room, and these are, it's not an intimate thing. When I started talking about the heavier stuff, like this kind of darker material, they were like, it was kind of like they felt worried for me. (laughs) Like, is she okay? Is this a sane person up here that we should be listening to? Like, and what I'm trying to do with this joke is sell them the fact that I am trustworthy and should be listened to and that I've got a thing to say. And then at the end it work. It like, I kind of break their trust and make it funny, but that isn't working because at the very beginning of it, it's way too dark and intense maybe, or, and it's just not funny, whatever it is, it's just not fucking funny. I haven't got the funniness out of it yet. And, uh, so I was up there again for another 10 minutes. Um, First two minutes were fine. The middle five minutes were terrifying. And then the last three minutes, I brought him back with a good joke at the end and everything was okay. But I got off stage, again, just feeling totally uh, dejected and like confused and embarrassed. I finally had some of people that I know in the audience as well, which I never... I rarely want anyone I know to ever be in the audience because it... It puts a little bit of extra pressure on me, I guess, because it's confusing having people that know you watch you act on stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I'm pretty much myself, but just like an exaggerated version of myself on stage. But it's just it's weird. It's for people that don't know me at all that can just buy into the illusion of who I am. And I think when my friends come and watch me, I'm kind of like, you know who I am and this is probably not me. So maybe you think I'm a dork. Or you, you think I'm trying to? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it is. It's weird. I don't know why I don't like ha- having people watch me. But I'm, again, getting confidence and realizing this is the thing I want to do. So i was like, yeah, of course, people come and watch me. People ask all the time where when I'm doing it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, come watch. So I had people there watching and, that I respect and I care about their opinion. So I was a little bit nervous that they were going to think I was shit and... um put a little bit of extra pressure on myself to do well. And that kind of made me worse. (laughs) It's always me. It's always me doing this to myself because it's, again, what I'm saying is like, it's about me. I've made this shit about me, not about the comedy necessarily. And this is something I fucking talk about all the time. I always say this, like, don't buy into your own bullshit. You got to make it about an idea. As soon as you make it about yourself, you fuck up. And then it's like, but Lorna, that's all you ever do everything's about you it always is and that's something i have to like f- f- acknowledge and to get over yeah at least i can see i'm doing it but how the fuck i stop doing it i do not know you guys um so i got off stage and i was embarrassed that i had kind of not put on a very good show they were entertained by me. The people were fine. Like they weren't held hostage and they didn't hate me, but it just wasn't like a great set. And this comedian that was headlining, he's up here from Melbourne, and he said, um, he was like, you have some great writing. And I was like, oh, fuck, I, I don't know. I'm embarrassed. I didn't really know the jokes very well. And I'm doing a lot of writing, but I'm not really sure I'm writing very effectively because I will sit here. I've, I spend fucking 10 hours a day <laughs> thinking about comedy and writing jokes. I walk on the beach writing jokes in my head. I come back and sit my computer and write jokes in my head. I'm just it's all I'm thinking about all day every day, but I just don't think I'm doing it very effectively. And he said uh I said I said to him, "Yeah, I'm writing all the time, but I feel like I kind of write the magic out of it. I kind of smother it by trying to write it to, into something." And he said, I think you don't know how to write the magic into it yet. And that was not nice to hear. (laughs) He was the nicest person in the world. He was so kind, and it was so, like, nice that he actually wanted to sit there and talk to me about my set. And he's obviously very experienced and has been doing this for a long time. But, like, my ego heard that and went, I'm a piece of shit. Of course I am. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's that kind of thing like that. And immediately the back of my head just goes, of course, fucking bail it. Stop doing this. You don't know what you're doing. You're a fucking loser. And then he continued to talk to me for a while. And he was like, no, you have got great ideas. It's it's just time. And here's some tips on the way I write. This is what I do when I sit down and write. And there's a structured way of doing this. And if you want some more help, uh, you know, like, let's actually talk about it. We'll meet up, we'll talk about it. I'll help you get the ideas together if that's if you're, you want that or whatever. And I was like, holy fuck, this is amazing. Yes, I have been floundering for the last two months trying to figure out how to write jokes, how to come back on stage, how to get my confidence back, how to come up with material, turn this into something that I want to do for a really long time. And what it's taken is not me getting better and better and better at it. In fact, it's me getting worse and now having assistance coming to me. Like I keep saying, oh, I just wish I had a coach. I wish I had people that told me what to do. And now I have a person standing there in front of me going, well, have you tried this? This is a way of doing it. And my ego immediately was like, oh, not fuck you. I don't, I'm don't. i not good. I, I just wish I hadn't embarrassed myself. And then... Immediately, it was like, no, this person's standing right in front of you, offering you help. Who knows if his writing style is going to be your writing style, but it doesn't fucking matter. Try. For God's sakes, you can't get any worse than this. <laughs> so uh, this is phase two of learning a skill. And this is uh, this is me wrangling my own ego, between bouncing between severe insecurity and overconfidence. I have this like the aim is this sense of presence in between phase two of learning anything is that you've got the skill now and now you're responsible for making incremental changes and, and staying persistent. Um, and the the responsibility is, is now you know how to do it. You have to do it. So if we go back to the first example of me talking about being insecure and, uh, if you're insecure, then you can't, can't stand up for yourself. You won't protect yourself. You need somebody else's help. Now, the difference is once you start getting a little bit of confidence and start standing your own ground, there's responsibility with that because it means you have to do it. You've got to stand up for yourself. So you can think about it all day being like, no, I'm going to say this. I'm definitely not. I'm going to ask for that raise. I'm going to do that. And then you get to work and you're like, yeah, yeah, of course, whatever you want. (laughs) So it's not just thinking that you are confident, thinking that you love yourself, it's now time to fucking do it. Stand up for yourself. Protect somebody else. Walk away from something that's destructive. Those are the steps now that you have to take as a responsible person who is climbing out of a hole of insecurity. So again, like, and in terms of comedy or in creativity, it's like, now it's time. Now I've learned the skill enough to be able to stand on my own two feet, now I have to try shit. I've got to share my ideas and I'm going to get mixed reviews. There, I, You've got to find out that I have to find out that shit that I'm saying and thinking is not as funny as I thought, that I'm not being clear enough or that my jokes aren't universal enough, that I'm only talking to like a tiny demographic of people like me that get me, um, that people are not going to understand me and people are not going to have the same feeling about something that I do. And that doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means I have to work at it and adjust. And I can keep banging my head into the same wall and just... Or I could just keep going back to stuff that feels good. And either way, neither one of those things is helpful. Like, this is the creative process. It's very fluid, I guess, and it's constantly changing. And and I think you guys probably would know what I mean. The sensation that kind of happens when you have, like, written a joke and you think it's fucking great and you're really excited about it and you can't wait to share it and then you get up on stage and you say it and you're super excited and then nobody laughs it's that feeling of like when you finally you like discover a new song that you just fucking love and you're so excited about it you can't wait to share it with your best friend and then you share it to them and they're like what the fuck this is so stupid or like someone's done that before or like I've already heard that and it was I hated it <laughs> And it's like just this crushing feeling of like, fuck, I thought I really discovered something special and you hate it. And with music, it's kind of like, oh, good. It doesn't matter. I can still go and listen to the song on my own and love it. Oftentimes, if you're an insecure person, and this happens to me, is that I will love the song and then someone that I respect will tell me it's shit. And then I'll go back and listen to the song and be like, yeah, you're right. It is shit. (laughs) And then I have to be like, no, just fuck it. Who cares? If you like it, you like it. Just relax. You're fine. What you like doesn't define you as a person. You're okay. Um, It's just being a judgmental asshole. But that's a little bit what happens with these jokes. And and now the question is, because comedy is reliant on those three major factors is that you are having an authentic voice and something to say, the audience is understanding you and coming with you, and the room and the environment is fertile for that moment to experience that joke. All three of those elements need to be in place to make a good uh, show and a good stand-up comedy set. It's not. I can't just get on stage and play my favorite song and be like, fuck you cunts if you don't like it. Like what I have to do is be like, I think there's something very magical and beautiful inside this song. I'm going to play it for you guys. And if you don't like it, I'm going to ask you why you don't like it and try and understand what it is about it that's bothering you and uncomfortable. And is there a way I can make this song the way it is better? what the essence of this song, what I love about this song, how can I make that visible to you? I think that's the job. Because you want to take the essence of the song. You want, I want to keep the essence of these jokes. And that's kind of the advice that he gave me last night. So if anyone ever listening to this is like learning how to do comedy or whatever, uh, one of the pieces of advice that two comics now have given me that have much more experience than me said, uh, Write down your idea and then ask yourself, why is this funny? And then write down all the reasons why that's funny. And then also, once you've kind of figured that out, ask yourself, why are you saying it? What's the point of even saying it? Why is it funny? Why are you saying it? And then what are all of the variations that get back to that core idea of why it's funny. What are all of the different things that could point to why that thing is funny? And is it still in line with the thing that you're trying to say? Or is the thing you're trying to say going to change based on why this thing's funny? Um, And so I thought that was a great piece of advice because basically what I'm doing is just writing things and saying things inside my head and going, oh, that sounds funny. And then I get on stage and people are like, what the fuck? But, anyways, uh, I've almost been talking for an hour, so uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up now. Um, one of the things too, in developing any skill, I, I hope this is a, a, of any kind of interest to you guys. I don't know. I th- I think this is kind of fun because I'm going through this like insane uh, mental breakdown, <laughs> and you guys get to come with me on the journey. I'm not I'm, I don't think I'm having a mental breakdown. I just think I'm having like after having a really extreme closed off period of time where I did nothing creative and basically my entire reality got reshuffled. Now I'm coming back out of it on the other side just trying to put brand new pieces of my life together. And it's interesting to me to kind of like watch my own mental confusion. Like I'm I'm literally going through a the mental earthquakes that I've talked about so much in this podcast. It's happening right now live in real time, and I'm fucking recording it and putting it on the internet. So great. Um, anyway, so when you uh, are developing this new set of skills and coming out of the Dunning-Kruger cloud of thinking that you're the best shit ever, you start to realize... Like you can actually start to understand the nuance of the skill that you're in and how much more you have to learn. And one of the best ways that I describe this to people learning Muay Thai is uh, because it can be very frustrating for people starting to learn Muay Thai. There's just so much, so many elements to it, so many things that as soon as you learn how to do one thing right, something else goes out the window and it's difficult. I watch people really struggle with this. And one of the best things that uh, I can give to people is to put them in front of a mirror or film them doing it and explain to them, sit down and explain to them technically why one kick is better than another kick. What the, what, is actually working when they're doing a thing a certain way and why it's not working. Then have them do it again and see if they can feel the difference. If they can feel the difference from the inside out and visually watch it, see what looks wrong compared to what looks right, and then feel what feels right compared to what feels wrong, then that's how they make progress. And so... I am realizing as stupid as it was for me to listen back to my set right before I went on stage, it is so critically important to have different perspectives on your own growth on whatever it is that you're trying to do and to be open to those perspectives. And then secondly, when you get a new perspective, not take it fucking personally. Cause that's the thing too, is that when I'm giving someone criticism on their kick, it's not because they're a shitty person. I don't think they're an idiot because they're kicking wrong. It's like, oh, you just don't know how to technically kick yet. Your body hasn't figured out how to do all of the moving parts that you need to do to make that kick happen. And I'm never judging somebody for how they're not figuring out how to kick. It's just like, this is just time. It does get frustrating, I imagine, over time that people are still making the same mistakes, but everyone learns it in their own time. And it's pretty amazing to watch. Like everybody does eventually figure it out in their own time. And I have to have patience with myself, and I also have to apply the same tactics to myself. Like, it's not a personal attack that I'm not funny right now. (laughs) It's not great for getting gigs and doing comedy, which is supposed to be funny, but it's okay that I'm still figuring this shit out because I this is how i'm growing and i'm writing new jokes and i'm getting out of writing fucking sex stuff and dick jokes and masturbation stuff because that's sh- it's t- too done i guess i don't know i feel like i've got bigger ideas to share because i'm saving the world one podcast at a time like i i just feel like i have bigger things to talk about than sex and dicks and stuff so i and i think i kind of rode that wave for the first half of what I've done comedy so far, my first four months at it, and I would now like to try to make some other jokes. And unfortunately, yeah, it probably means that I'm going to lose half of the people that thought I was funny originally, but that's going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. So, um, yeah. Now it's just about maintaining consistency, getting after it, and keeping on going. Uh, Stop making it about me, for fuck's sake. And realizing that... uh, why am I still talking? Thank you guys so much for listening. As always. I love doing this fucking podcast. I love it so much. And uh, sorry I didn't get it out on Sunday. I was a bit preoccupied trying to write jokes that ended up not being funny at all. (laughs) Hope you guys have had a wonderful week and I will talk to you again soon.